welcome back to season two of Outside of Session. I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker and therapist BFF, Julie Hilton. This season, I'm interviewing some incredible guests who also happen to be experts in their fields. Mental health, motherhood, spirituality, and so much more, I can't wait for their stories to be told. These are all the conversations I'm having outside of session. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Outside of Session. This week, we are continuing the conversation that we started last week with Pamela Madsen talking about narcissism and recovering from narcissistic abuse. The conversation turned just so fascinating. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, make sure you check that one out first because you won't want to miss a single thing. What's the, what do you feel like the likely, uh, likelihood is of being able to success, successfully set some boundaries with that parent so that the relationship can change because it needs to change, but stay intact and actually get um, like more healthy, healthier, <laughs> more healthy. Um, I, well, yeah, more healthy, more manageable. Um, well, the first step in that is working with the client to grieve the, the relationship that they wanted and needed and also need in the future, they are not going to get. Oh, and that's so it's, it's crushing. Oh gosh. The, the, you, when you see that click, um, the pain is and it. And that might take a while in therapy um, to really grieve over and over again. Like I'm not ever going to have like that, that relationship with my parents when they're 80, you know, we're, you know, where we maybe as adults, one of our values is to care closely for and love our parents as they get closer to dying. And I'm not going to be able to have that, this fear of feeling relief when their parents pass. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's another layer to it. But what we, what we kind of talk about is like, this is going to be a little bit of like a whack-a-mole situation where I'm going to set a boundary and then we're going to try something else. And I'm going to set a boundary and they're going to try something else. And, um, I, my clients all, they'll go into like situations with their family. Like, I think I messed up. I didn't set the boundary right. And I'll say, you know what? That's okay. Cause you know, the good news is they're going to do it again. So you're going to get another try. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times you mess up. Cause you can keep, they're going to keep doing this and you can keep getting better at it. And once they realize like, Oh, like I didn't fail. Like, no, you're just, you have to practice it, yeah. but it's also whack-a-mole. So it'll move. And what we hope we can do is push that person into a corner where their only option to relate to us is the healthy one. Mm. Um, and mostly what they figure out then is, Oh, the ways I've been trying to talk to relate and connect with my, my child, um, in the past aren't working. They're not getting what I'm looking for. Um, this is the only thing left to try. They try it and then like, everything's fine. And like, you can have like a conversation or lunch together and they say, okay, this is the only way left to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm also thinking about, um, how important grief is. Um, and another thing that came to mind is when, when the adult children have children of their own. Mm-hmm. I see that as being a time where people really realize it's so easy for me to, to, 
think of my kids' emotions um, and to parent them in different ways, that that's when a lot of grief comes in of, well, why couldn't my parent do this for me? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Especially when someone has a new baby, like their first mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. and they hold that baby in their arms for the first time and they look at them and then the things that come to mind for them, like the things they want to say to their baby are, um, you're the, gosh, you're the most magnificent baby ever born, right? The most beautiful. I want all good things for you. I will protect you. And then they start to remember and hear like the things that were said to them and almost like, uh, like a ton of bricks hits. I'm like, I can't imagine those words ever coming out of my mouth and saying them to this baby, like this precious child in my arms. And then they, that is often a, a real painful time. Um, uh, and it kind of takes that elation of new parent um, away just a little bit, but um, it's just another part of the healing process that our, our mother wounds often come out when we have a baby. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's good, I think, for a therapist to even think about is um, like, as I'm hearing all of the abuse that my clients go through, I have to ask myself, like, is this just an abusive parent or I don't know what I'm trying to ask. Like, what is the difference when you know that it's narcissism versus just um, child abuse? Okay. Well, I think I don't even know if that's like an actual question. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I think I I I feel what you're asking um, because I think what we often what we're thinking of narcissistic abuse is really obvious. Um, You know, someone standing over you, shaking their finger in your face, saying, "You're no good. Uh Um, Look at what you did to me!" Right? (laughs) Um, And it's it wasn't something that that person has obviously done to that person. Right. So, um, but, so there's two types here. There's overt narcissistic abuse and then there's covert narcissistic abuse. Okay. I know. Right. So this will, I think this will help. Um, so that covert is like, it's obvious. You can point it out. Like uh, you can sense it, um, pretty easily. The covert narcissistic abuse is a little different. So, um, that person tends to look, um, they might be very like philanthropic almost, right? So they're doing like kind things. They're controlling, um, they're they're controlling how people see them. They had impression management is really strong by like doing what looks like caring tasks, like taking dinner to the neighbor whose, um, you know, father died or something like that. And they're they're hyper-focused being on like, look at what a good person I am. Mm. Um, and, that is just more of controlling that facade. Everything's fine here. Don't look here. But when they go home and that child gets, you know, a couple of B's on their report card, um, you know, they're an embarrassment to the family. Mm-hmm. They didn't make the all honor roll. That used to be published in the newspaper when I was younger. So, um, you know, that would have been the time for that parent to really shine. Look at me. Um uh, my kid has all these great accomplishments and that speaks to what a wonderful parent I am. You know, <laughs> um, And, you know, we do in our kids' accomplishments, we do play some role, but they're their accomplishments. You know, it's yeah. a little, it's, it's a very, it's a nuance that's very different. Mm-hmm. 
that is extremely interesting to me coming from um, a religious aspect. Um, have you heard of the book when, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? When Narcissism Comes to Church? I have heard of it. I haven't read it, but it is not uncommon that I, I work with um, either narcissism from the pulpit, right? So we, we get a lot of spiritual injuries around this too, but also in families where religion is used um, like as a weapon. I'm literally debating if I want to ask you about that now or if I want to talk you into doing a whole episode on that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, I we can either one if you want to talk about that later we can it is its own little animal um spiritual injuries are are so complicated um because people draw oh and here's i guess here's the connection um in many religions the deity is like a a father figure right Mm -hmm. um and if our like if we have a, a, an abusive relationship with like our, our biological father relating to a, the spiritual leader and as a paternal relationship or a maternal either one, um, is it, it comes from a place of like mistrust. I mean, the framework is that it's an abusive relationship. So um, that punishment approach of religion fits right in there and helping my clients grow to um develop their own values and beliefs about their spirituality is a real key piece of the healing Um, is that maybe they were taught that God is like this vengeful punishing person. But when they read the text of their religion, their God is actually more of a, a benevolent caring person and they can't um, they have to separate like, Oh, like heavenly father, earthly father, two different things. Right. That um, and maybe that's the kind of parent I needed. What is described in their faith, but they didn't get that here from their biological parents. So then we have to work on developing that inner parent for them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've seen that a lot too. Where um, from the pulpit there is this image of such care and such um, relatability and doing so much for the community, but then people who are actually in close proximity are constantly being just torn down and berated and they see a a completely different side. And so there's so many people in the community and the congregation that would say, you know, it's such a shock when this, this thing came out because we, we only, every interaction that we have, again, it's that very surface level interaction that was really done for the image. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what can be so invalidating for the clients that you end up working with is because everybody else's view of this person is that, you know, oh, they're so caring. They're so genuine um, because I think there's a lot of acting going on, right? Like it's almost like people don't believe what they have experienced and the abuse that they've experienced because the majority of people that aren't, that, that are, you know, at least an arm's distance away or more don't have that experience at all. Right. You might have um, parents who are characterized as like Ward and June Cleaver, mm-hmm. um, like from Leave It to Beaver. Like that might be the description given to um, their like their family and their parents. And so um, how that effectively shuts down um, accessing support, right, is um, other people are confirming that 
everything is perfect and great in your life. So the person carries this pain that's experiencing the abuse, right? So that's where we start to see eating disorders show up and, mm-hmm. um, or even substance use or other self-injurious behaviors, really any of those. Um, because now the door has been closed to access help. Uh, that just my heart, mm-hmm. right? Because, because that's where the self-trust has been lost too, because mm-hmm. at some point you you might be saying like, no, this is wrong. This is not okay. This is really hurtful. But then when you have other people say, no, that's not who this person is, it invalidates everything about what you know. So you end up doubting yourself. And, and I say this all the time, that that's what trauma does. It makes us not trust ourselves. We think that we don't interpret things wrong. We think or we don't interpret things right. We think that we read the room wrong. Um, we think that we did something to cause it. We think that we're overreacting. Like that's where those like those mind games come in, right? Where things feel like they're just being twisted and you walk away from the situation saying, maybe I, maybe I was wrong for feeling that way. Exactly. So not only do you get the act of gaslighting from the perpetrator, but you get it from like this, the social systemic gaslighting, and then you do it to yourself as well. It is, it is very effective. Um, and all begins with like that focus on impression management. You get it that individual can then recruit um, by collateral, right? Recruit this reinforcement that um, maybe the child in that situation is the problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, children internalize everything. Yeah. So n- now it's I'm, I'm not good enough. I need to, I'm not pretty enough. Uh, and, and oh goodness, the um, politics of physical appearance and uh, narcissistic family system is so important. Again, with the image, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I said that your face, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. The politics of physical appearance being so important. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pause for a quick moment to say thank you so much for all the love and support that you're showing outside of session. If you haven't already, do me a huge favor and hit the subscribe button, give me a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends. Help me take this show to another level. Now back to today's episode. Yeah, yeah, because when you say things like that, I have these little things jump about me that I've, that I've heard people say that um, their mom's making sure that, you know, at 14 years old that they were wearing lip gloss every every time they left the house or like a because you have to look put together. You have to um, like the, the demands that were put on them. Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe um, put some lipstick on before we leave and then not too red. You look like a whore. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you can't be right. You can try to be perfect, but that still won't be right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't be right. You're not, it, it would not benefit um, someone who is, has uses narcissistic abuse to control you for you to finally be right, because then you would stop pursuing, making them happy and meeting their needs. It does not benefit them for you to ever be right. Oh, that's so profound to hear you say that. So their goal is not for you, not actually for you to be perfect. The goal is for you to think that you're not and to remind you that you're not because that will produce 
um, that will produce a kid that never stops trying. Mm-hmm. Well, more succinctly, the goal is um, that you continue to try to meet their needs. Now, so if your if the child is perfect, looks beautiful, always put together, um, performance athlete, stellar student, um, very well behaved, right, um, around the parent's friends in particular. If the child looks perfect and the parent looks great, right, oh, we must be such wonderful parents for our children to be so performative, right, you know, or um, even like the child having a boyfriend or a girlfriend if it's a if it's a male. So um, if if our daughter can attract this really great young man to date her, we must be really great parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this gives them then the ability to um, receive respect and admiration from their peers mm-hmm. and their parents, which is pretty key. So really? the grandparents. Oh, yeah, really? So that's a big piece of it too. Oh, it's definitely a family system. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So you, you started to, t- to talk about gaslighting a minute ago, and I had tons of questions about that um, because I think that that's another one of those buzz- buzzwords that I have clients and people ask me all the time now, like, is this gaslighting? Am I being gaslit right now? Um, is it gaslit or gaslighted? I mean, I guess we, the semantics of it, I call it <laughs> gaslighting. Yeah, I call it gaslighting. And it's actually, um, you know, I'm sure folks are going to Google this, that um, it come, it, the term comes from an old movie where um, the husband, uh, it, husband and wife, and um, he decides he's, he's trying to like get rid of his wife, like uh-huh. wants to have a different kind of life. Um, so he decides he's going to make her think she's going crazy. So he starts to leave the gaslight on Um and then she'll say it's on and he'll turn it off uh, and then turn it back on and like, and starts to make her doubt her own perception, trying to drive her to insanity um, because the reality she sees does not match the one she's being told. And that is what gaslighting is. I did not know that. I did not know that's where it came from. That's really. Yeah. It's old black and white movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's when the reality that you perceive you're being told that that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. It's a good way to define it. So how do you see it show up with, especially with adult children? Um, well, mostly around their feelings, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, if <laughs> biggest piece being here, if the child has feelings, that's really takes away from, the narcissistic individual's ability to get their needs met, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they need their kids to have fewer feelings, smaller feelings, no needs, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they then also recruit the child to meet their needs, right? Taking care of the parents, what we mm-hmm. do, right? So, um, you know, if the child is hurt, right, they'll say something to the child like, um, you're not hurt or you're not sad. You're just scared. Shake it off. <laughs> um Gosh, that little throwback to some coaching moments I've seen with my kids in sports. You're not hurt. You're just scared. You know, child has yeah. broken ankles. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, like, it is telling them what they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not. You're not angry. 
you're just whatever, you know, or um, mostly it's the sad though. It's definitely avoidance of sad. We hear that a lot. Mm. Okay. So you're not this, you're that. Mm-hmm. What about, um, what about things like, well, that's not how I meant it. So you shouldn't mm-hmm. have taken it that way. Yes. That's a great example. Um, the, well, again, telling them like, you're not supposed to feel that way. You're supposed to feel mm-hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one can tell us what we feel. This is pretty important to remember. Um, when someone's telling you how you feel, this is the biggest red flag. That's no, let me qualify that a little bit. That's different than someone helping you label your emotions, right? Is that like, tell me more about that. Let's see if, um, if we different. can understand a little deeper, right? <laughs> That's not what narcissism sounds like. Tell me more yeah. about that. Never. <laughs> yeah. And they want to shut it down. They want to shut down the discussion because any of this would require them to accept accountability for the part they play. They may not be a hundred percent at fault, right? It's, it, this is a relationship. So there's mm-hmm. two people involved, right? They may not be a hundred percent involved or at fault. So, but they want to avoid any accountability. So it can be things too, like, um, well, I lied to you about that. Like if they get caught in something, I lied to you because I knew that you would blow up or because I knew that it would hurt you. And I, right. Like they're justifying their lies by saying, I knew mm-hmm. what you would feel. Um, mm-hmm. even though, no, they don't, they don't know that what you're going to feel. Right? Yes. They'll That's assign. So they assign intent to every, every behavior or action. They go ahead and assign the intent. They're not curious about it. And it um, puts them in a victim stance each time. So again, even though they lied, they're saying, but the intention was to, um, to spare you from a negative feeling. So it was, it was justified. It's okay that I lied mm-hmm. because I did it for you. I did it for you. <laughs> Yes. Or, you know, you had me walking on eggshells all around you. I didn't have a choice. Mm, That's a good one too. Yeah. 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 But again, this is something that we all do to a certain extent, right? Yeah. Well, and I I think, you know, I think a lot of times when people listening to this might say, Ooh, I've done that. Am I a narcissist? Right. Um, And you probably notice like, throughout this, I've not used that term narcissist or like people with narcissistic traits or individuals that, you know, they experience a lot of narcissistic behavior. Um, because I, I really don't like to make it a, an identity. I don't know that that's really helpful. It's really pathologizing because those are people that need help too. Yeah. So when, so, you know, folks are going to be hearing some elements of this conversation that you and I are having in themselves. And, I think one of the biggest takeaways in relationship is that when we make a mistake, we can, we can acknowledge it. Actually, the strength of a relationship is increased in how we handle a rupture. So if, um, you know, if I were to recognize, if I were called up by my spouse for doing something like that, um, I could say, you know what, you're right. Give me a minute. Um, it doesn't, that's not how I want to show up here. What I was trying to say, and obviously not very well is, um, I would like some quality time with you (laughs) instead of like, you never take me out anymore. (laughs) Right. You can always back it up and do a do over. You can, and we always feel closer in relationships when people like, 
acknowledge um, a hurt that they've committed against us or um, and heal from it, right? Yeah. Try to do better. We're not looking for perfection. We're just going for the good enough relationships. Absolutely. And I think that like when we have with our, with our parent, with our spouse, whoever, if we hear that we hurt them, if our response is to, to want to correct that, I mean, that's a pretty good indicator that they are not a narcissist, right? Right. And I think that's going to bring us right. So the word we've not said yet, which is empathy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's the key piece. You kind of just like really beautifully kind of described what that looks like is like, I don't want you to hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I'll acknowledge that and, and do differently because the goal isn't to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the E word, right? Empathy. That's the key piece that's missing um, for individuals that have strong traits of narcissism. They don't have a strong felt sense of other people's emotions. Mm-hmm. They may have um, cognitive empathy. So they understand what emotions are and they can see them on people. Um, but it may not move them to care. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to get into more of like antisocial behaviors and things. But um, so like, and those sit side by side on a spectrum of, of pathology, you know? Um, but that is the key piece. Like, is this, does this person understand that I have feelings and want them to not hurt? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a good way to kind of like sum it up. Right. Because I'm just thinking about like someone with empathy, how they respond differently. We might, we still get defensive. We still, we want people to understand our intent. We want to be able to say, I I did not, I would never want to hurt you. I didn't mean it that way, but that's very different than saying, I didn't mean it that way. So you shouldn't feel that way. That's very (laughs) different. Yeah. 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 I didn't mean it that way. So you shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) Anybody that whips out the should, we know we're, we're being guilted. Yeah. Uh, that's so much. I feel like I have, I'm going to go process some of this too of like, oh yeah, I have such a better understanding of, of even how to help clients with it. Um, but before we wrap up, thank you again, by the way, for being here. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, the last question that I kind of ask all of my guests to wrap up is if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing at this point in life with all of the wisdom that you've gotten, all the experiences that you have now, um, what would it be? What would you tell her? Oh gosh. Um, you know, obviously I've had some lived experience, um, with narcissistic abuse. I couldn't have been able to speak the language of hell without it. Right. Um, so what I would probably say to younger me is, um, trust that you'll be able to use these hard times for good. It won't be in vain. Mm. So I think that's what we do as therapists, right? <laughs> Yeah, it is. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Julie. Yeah, absolutely. So I will have Pamela's information in the show notes. And so um, if people want to get in touch with you, they'll they'll know where to find you. Um, but that's all we have for today. Anything else you want to say before we hop off? No, I, I appreciate you taking the time and all of the effort you put into producing this podcast yeah. is so helpful for our community. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing it. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. We will see you guys next week. Bye. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Outside of Session. Remember, while I am a licensed therapist, this podcast is not a substitute for individual therapy. The contents of this episode are for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911 for immediate assistance or dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline.